Hey guys, John here. Uh, what you are about to listen to is our spoiler-heavy um, reactions to Rogue One show. Um, should be very clear as soon as you start listening to the actual show that we're going to be talking all about Rogue One in great detail, but I uh, thought I'd throw this up here just in case. If you haven't seen the movie yet, hit pause, run out to the theater because Rogue One is fantastic. Check it out, maybe check it out twice, and then come back and uh, give this episode a listen. I should mention here as well that um, we're planning on doing more shows uh, devoted to Rogue One in the upcoming week or so. Um, there are some other Blockade Runner contributors who uh, were not able to um, be part of the show that we want to hear from as well. So look forward to probably more shows um, reacting to Rogue One. This episode is like the broad, you know, kind of overview, but there's there's a lot of uh, more specific topics, of course, that we could discuss, and um, we, we plan to, we hope to. So this is kind of round one of, um, of our, uh, our thoughts on, on Rogue One, but there, there'll be more to come as well. So I am one with the Force. The Force is with me, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Blockade Runner podcast. Uh, we are super excited tonight to give our pretty fresh reactions to Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And with me tonight is Dan. Hello. And Kevin. Hi there. And Ryan. Hello. And Lindsay in spirit, she was going to join us, but then we were too uh, we were too tardy in getting everything set up and ready to go, unfortunately. So um, she's not here, but uh, she almost was. So. Um, Sorry, Lindsay. That's my fault. Yeah. Well, no. It's it's no. Well, hopefully we can record another one um, sometime. You know, in the next week or so, because you know yeah. I saw the movie with her, and uh, she definitely has a lot of a lot of takes. Nice. Yeah. I mean, rebellions rebellions are built on hope, so um, no reason yeah. to give up now. You know what I mean. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, a four-person panel here tonight on the Blockade Runner, and uh, I think all of us are super happy with the movie. Um, it's been like less than what? It's probably been like about thirty-six hours since most of us saw it. Ryan, you just saw it this morning for the first time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, braved, uh, <laughs> braved a snowstorm to oh. get to the Alamo Draft House. Yeah. Well, Dan and Dan and Kevin braved a snowstorm to get over here tonight. I think because uh, we're, we're we're ours is starting. Uh, over here but um yeah so we're just like tonight going to talk about our our uh our very fresh opinions of the movie um we're still definitely kind of bringing it all in taking it all in i have seen it twice now dan has tickets to see it for a second time tomorrow kevin i know is hoping to see it soon for a second time and uh yeah but but but, i mean like we we've all seen it either only you know one or two times so um just our initial impressions tonight and ryan like you said we're we're hoping to to go more in depth on it down the road. But um, let's just start out by by talking about uh, how we felt about it initially, I think. Um, Dan, Ryan, or no, Dan, Kevin, and I all saw the movie together. Uh, not much of a story with that. Bought the tickets on Fandango. No problem getting them. Uh, went to the 7 o'clock show. Had pretty decent seats. Sat down, watched some bad trailers, and then the movie started. So um, it's not really, I, I think there's not much of a story, right, in terms of like going to see the movie. Is that fair to say? You guys? Yeah, pretty pretty boilerplate. It wasn't like going to see episode seven or any of the prequels when we did that, where people were like super hyped. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I w- <laughs> we were all excited, but it was just it was a different experience for sure. And like uh, the process of getting the tickets, getting there, 
it was all pretty standard, you know, going to see a movie. Um, but Ryan, you went to go see it at the Alamo Draft House, as you usually do, right? <laughs> yeah. So, what was that like? Um, well, first of all, um, my getting tickets experience was not um, not as smooth, <laughs> I guess, as yours. Um, because what the Alamo did was, you know, 10 p.m. It was 10 p.m. Mountain Time uh, here in Denver. And when the tickets went on sale, and that is like actually past my bedtime on a weeknight. So when the tickets initially went on sale, like I was like, okay, I'm staying up, I'm gonna get these. And then they went on sale, and like I clicked on the site, and it put me in a queue. And there was like thousands of people in the queue to get the tickets. So, like, I I mean, I watched the counter go for a while, and I was, like, 5,000, 6,000, whatever, in line. And, you know, it was, like, moving so slowly. I'm like, it's going to be, you know, 3 in the morning before I can buy tickets, and, like, I have to go to work in the morning. So I ended up, um, you know, just going to bed without tickets um, that night, and then woke up in the morning, and the soonest I could get like decent seats to see the film um was Saturday morning um so that's what we had tickets for at the Alamo um it was a 10 a.m showing today and uh it was pretty (laughs) low-key Yeah, I can't imagine staying up at that point. You would have gotten any earlier shows. So good call just going to sleep. Yeah. And I mean, I wake up at five in the morning anyways for work. So it was just like, I mean, yeah, like it's I might as well just go to sleep and then wake up and, you know, try my best then. So. So you say it was chill in terms of like uh, the atmosphere or whatever, but um, what about like the. I don't, what do you call it? Like the pre-show that they do at the Alamo? Oh, it was it was fantastic as always. Um, it was it was pretty similar actually to the pre-show um, they had for Force Awakens with um, you know like a like a longer form funny funnier die video is usually in there. Um, then there's like a mixture of just like fan made like YouTube. Um, Star Wars related movies and um my favorite part of <laughs> all of these always is and they do the same thing with the Marvel movies and stuff is the old toy commercials um having those in there as well so they had like a lot of the um they were focused on this one it seemed to be focused on the Kenner Empire Strikes Back uh, figure sets um, and those commercials, um, which are which are pretty pretty silly. Like those toys had like so many of them had nothing to do with like the actual movie and like the scenarios they were playing out there um, were pretty pretty ridiculous. But I love that stuff, so that was super super fun. And um, I actually right now I'm drinking out of the Mondo Rogue One pint glass that I got uh, with uh, with my ticket, and I also got one for you, John. Um, got to figure out some way to mail that. Um, it's, a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous glass. Um, and they had some uh, Rogue One-themed 
menu items as well. So, um, and Star Wars music in the lobby and the restrooms and everything. So, but I think they kind of went, had like the, the bigger, you know, more fun and eventful showings, uh, you know, Thursday Thursday night and Friday nights where, um, you know, we went to a Friday night Force Awakens showing and it was like, it was crazy cosplay everywhere. Sure. A lot, a lot bigger deal, but, um, it was still, still a really excellent LMO experience. Cool. Nice. Yeah. I would, uh, I'd love to see a Star Wars movie that way. Um, one of these days. So hopefully soon I'll be able to do that. Um, cool. Well, why don't we talk about like our, our initial impressions and sort of how we felt about the movie, um, after seeing it for the first time. Uh, I know the three of us here and sounds like you and Lindsay were all happy with it. But, um, you know, I would say that like my initial impressions were that I definitely liked it, but very much like, um, same way with the force awakens. I feel like I can't help, but overanalyze it the first time I watch it. And I just like, I'm sitting there kind of asking myself all along, like, do I like this? Am I comfortable with this? Is this good? Um, and, uh, definitely by the time I left the theater, I I felt like, yeah, I I really, really, really liked it. It was super good. Um, I, I I remember saying that night that I felt like it took until the scene on Edu, um, with Jen's father and Cassian having to make a choice about, uh, about sniping him. Um, it took until that moment before I was like, you know, convinced, uh, about how I felt about it. You know, that was like the moment where I really settled and I was like, yeah, I love this, you know? Um, but after one viewing, I felt like the movie was fantastic. I really loved, um, the characters. I, all the characters I love. I think that's one of the strongest aspects of the movie. I thought the plot was great. Um, there were very few complaints I had things that like bothered me about the movie. Uh, I think for me it was all about how, but how star Wars is it? You know what I mean? How much does it feel like star Wars for me? And, um, after seeing it a second time, I feel like it very much does feel like star Wars and I'm really, really happy with the movie overall. So, so I love it, but um, just curious what your guys' initial thoughts were. One of the first things that I noticed was that visually, especially, I was reminded a little bit more of the prequels than I was with Force Awakens. Uh, some of the planet varieties and, and, and just the way things looked and felt, I was thinking, wow, this is a little prequelish. Not as far as the tone and, and the tone of the movie, but just the, kind of the feel of the, the visuals. Um, I, I noticed that right away, and I, and I liked that because I liked the prequels and... People slam them so much. I'm afraid sometimes that uh, their influence on on current Star Wars is going to be diminished. But uh, so I was excited about that, and uh, I didn't really have that sort of uh, over over analyzing thing going on when when Rogue One was was starting. I was I, I, I remember being sucked into it right away, and when when uh, with the scene where where Galen and uh, when Lyra dies and and Jin has to leave Galen and uh, I was pretty emotional during that because I just finished reading Catalyst that day and I I knew right then that I was really invested in in those characters and uh, I, I was very interested in everything else that was happening right off the bat. I do remember thinking, "Oh, that logo is a little ugly." <laughs> I definitely agree with you there. <laughs> Yeah, when that Rogue One logo came up, I was like, "Hmm, that that doesn't look quite the way I I imagined it." Uh, I don't like the logo very much, and actually, I I really don't like. I wouldn't say that the fonts 
that dem- like tell you what planets you're on. I wouldn't say that like I disliked it, but I definitely don't love that font either. Like I'm not sure who was doing fonts on this movie, but they, they just don't. I don't know. They don't super work for me. I'm okay with with the planet names being. <coughs> I'm okay with the planet names being there. I see why they did that. Well, but uh, I agree. The fonts, no. the actual fonts themselves, it's uh, they were. I don't know. I, I noticed those and, and kind of thought maybe, eh, I don't really like that. I love the concept of showing the planet names, yeah, yeah. for sure. It just, and there's nothing wrong with that font. It just looked very like, I don't know. I, I'm a weirdo, but to me, they looked like Linux. I was like, okay, well, that's like, that's like very like, yeah, you download that font for free. You know what I mean? That's, that's how I felt about the <laughs> fonts that the planet names were, you know? So, um, what, Dan, what was your like initial um, reaction to the movie? Just, it was awesome or? <laughs> You know, I think I was probably like the least hyped out of any of us for it. I going into it, you mean? Yeah, going into okay. it. Okay. I, I didn't see any. I, I, I should clarify. I'm not one of the people that thought it was a bad idea to make Rogue One or anything like that by any means. But I didn't have that same kind of build up <coughs> internally, um, in anticipation for the movie. So I kind of went in, and it was honestly, it was kind of like just going to watch a movie that I wanted, knew I wanted to see, and I was really pleasantly surprised. I, I liked it quite a bit. Um, you know, we'll get into more of the details later. I thought the, the third act was just pretty much perfect. But other than that, felt like a Star Wars universe. I didn't expect it to feel like an episodic movie. Um, so I might be like on the descent side here. Again, not that I disliked it by any means, but... Mm-hmm. So, but on the descent side, in the sense that it didn't feel as Star Wars like to you as well, I I didn't expect it to, and I don't think it needed to feel like Star okay. Wars. Okay, gotcha, you know? gotcha. Yeah. Um, and it, and I think that was going to be one of the hard things for them, no matter how the movie turned out. Like how how do they position it? They obviously put a lot of thought into that. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, and Ryan, um, I, I, you know, I've gotten a few very light impressions from you about like mm. how you felt about it. But I know <laughs> Kevin and I were texting each other today around like noon or one o'clock our time, like uh, nail, biting our nails, like, Oh, Ryan should be getting out of the theater anytime now. Like what's he, <laughs> what's he going to say about it? Like, did he like it? What, what's he going to think? So um, I was t- legitimately <laughs> nervous about it. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was sitting at the table and I'm like looking over and I saw a little red light on my phone. I was like, Oh my God, that's Ryan. <laughs> yeah. what it, was, it, was, it was a foreboding uh, yeah, feeling that I had. No. Well, and you you had um, you had given us like uh, you or you gave me like you know after we initially talked about your reaction, you said like two thumbs up. Like you and Lindsay both liked it, so that was cool. But yeah, I'm curious to see like um, how did it make you feel, or what was your what was your initial reaction to it? Yeah, I mean, I w- it's it was weird going into this movie because I feel like you know when it was announced and when we saw like the first teasers and stuff like I was I was definitely excited for it like it's it's more Star Wars in the theaters like this is awesome and like you know after seeing Force Awakens and being like okay Star Wars is in really good hands right now like whatever they do I'm gonna be cool with like as it got closer though I started I don't know I started feeling like a little more skeptical I guess, or just, like, maybe I was just, like, setting myself up for, you know, just an okay movie, I think. Or maybe I was just, like, mentally preparing myself. I don't know. But um, I had, you know, 
we all three of us had been texting about it like all week basically leading up to the release and like at a certain point I the vibe I was had built up in my head for the movie was like this is I don't know if this needs to exist <laughs> like it it almost feels like and I think I I told this to Kevin like it it feels like just a you know this could have been like a kind of throwaway like EU novel and that's not like a diss to the EU or anything because I I I do like a lot of the extended universe stuff um back in the day but like it just feels like it's a story that would be like you know kind of hyped and then it would be told and then just kind of like forgotten about in a way like just like inconsequential um you know filling in a gap that maybe doesn't need to be filled in um and so <laughs> I kind of went into it and I'm just like, okay, well, like, you know, whatever this is, you know, it's going to be fine. It's not going to take away from, like, the love I have for Force Awakens. Like, it's not going to, like, ruin Star Wars for me, you know, whatever. Um, and then, you know, it, it kind of started up and I, I think it's a slow burn at the beginning and um i think you know once you get into it and okay there long time ago galaxy far far away no crawl and you're like whoa okay i knew that was coming but okay and then um you know you're you're watching it and there's there's none of like the wipes or anything you kind of expect from star wars the music is different um the the score is much different then there's the uh you know the (laughs) the logo as you guys were saying um and the you know the the pop-ups kind of frequently telling you what the planets are at the beginning Mm -hmm. and you're like okay okay this is fine i guess it's jarring like i'm this is kind of just feeling like a movie right now more Mm -hmm. than star wars and then i think i think kind of like everyone um then i sort of it was probably around the the time that you were talking um about when um diego luna's character uh, doesn't pull the trigger on galen urso and like that was the first time like i actually felt immersed in the film because I was just noticing all this stuff at the beginning like and I was maybe like you were saying overanalyzing it a bit or whatever um and I definitely need to see it again but yeah I was I didn't know how I felt for like the first I don't know 45 minutes half hour 45 minutes of the film I really didn't know how to feel about it. Like I was ready to be on board, but stuff kept pulling me out. And then, you know, but by the time we hit that third act and every single thing that happened was like, like an emotional gut punch. And I was like, holy crap, I care so much. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that I cared this much, but I'm like, shaking and like and then I mean I I left the theater just 
like so full of feeling. <laughs> the one that really gave me that surprisingly was when K2SO. Oh, yes. oh yeah. Like, yes. As weird as that kind of sounds that I don't know. It was weird how, how attached I didn't realize I was to him. Well, yeah, no. And, and it, you know, what? It, it really, I guess if you haven't seen the movie, it might sound weird that like the saddest, cause there's, uh, spoilers, <laughs> which we didn't say at the beginning of the show, but I'm sure anybody listening to this understands that we're breaking down the movie and totally talking about it in detail. Um, there's a lot of human characters that die, but I think I was most emotionally moved by the K2SO death. Um, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of emotionally, you know, moving and compelling things in in the film. So I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't say definitively like that was the most moving thing for me, but it's it. it it, it may have been. It feels like it may have been. And um, it is kind of weird because, like, lots of people die. So why am I the most sad about this robot? But um, I feel like there's so much humanity in the portrayal of that character. It's it's amazing. Like, I, I'm not going to – I'm certainly not going to say, oh, K2SO is the best droid in Star Wars. But I feel mm. like K2SO – ah, man, I think he may be the most human droid in Star Wars. And that's – I mean, that's, I uh... – it hurts to say that because of C-3PO, but there's just, it, it might, it's a combination, I think, of like technology and technique and the way they did it. But I feel like I can see that actor in like every like little gesture and facial expression of K2. I, I don't know. I just feel like they, they did the best job they've ever done of taking a human actor and turning that into a droid performance. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I was <laughs> talking with our friend Chris, who's been on the podcast before, about k2 and the, the way he put it was he thought it was almost too undroid like to a degree uh, yeah but, uh, but it didn't strike me that way but i can i can see where he can get that you know yeah and think that it was a little too uh i don't know a little too fluid or a little too like just human like yeah rather than that you know you mentioned c3po he's got he's pretty endearing but he's still got that kind of clunky uh, you know mechanized Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's in his voice and things like that, you know. Yeah, well, and he's an actor who, for the, most of the time when they're um, creating that character, it's an actor who's stuck inside of this like tin suit and is obviously very restricted by that. And I think is also, you know, from day one in '75 or '76 or whenever they filmed it, like thinking like, well, I'm playing a droid, so I need to like move myself in a very robotic way, which is great. And I mean, C-3PO, of course, is one of like. I mean, he's one of the best characters in Star Wars. I love C-3PO. I like C-3PO more than K-2SO, but I think. But um, <laughs> it's just, it's not, so it's not about who's better. It's just about in terms of like which one feels the most human. And I think that that's K-2 because I, I don't know. It was, it's really amazing the way they did it. Well, and I think also that because he's a robot, <coughs> because he's a droid, they can get away with having his death be very slow. Like on camera, you see everything kind of happen and you, Mm. little bits at a time instead of it cutting away. That's a really good point. Yeah, but if you watch if you watch like interviews and stuff with Alan Tudyk, which I've been watching a lot of them over the last few weeks, um, and then sit down and watch the movie, I'm like, oh, he's there. Like I can see him, the way he moves and his expressions, and just like that. That's that's Alan Tudyk, you know, um, which is which is amazing that they that they did that. I think that's true with um, Ahmed Best and Jar Jar too, though. You know, I think there's like a lot of Ahmed Best and Jar Jar, even though he's. I mean, really, I think the technology is very similar in how they did that, right? Like, Ahmed Best was there walking around on, on camera, and then they, you know, replaced him digitally. So, 
Um, but you know what? Let, let's let's like kind of zoom back a little. One bit. one more thing. One more thing on okay. this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Because sure. no. um, there's something that's like, and I wish I remember who said it or even like what podcast this was on. But there was something that stuck with me, and it stuck with me for a really long time. Um, when there was a discussion many years ago on a podcast I was listening to, and they were talking about what makes you why do you care when characters die in a movie? And they were talking specifically about horror films. And um, someone brought up uh, Shaun of the Dead and how you don't want those characters to die because throughout the whole movie, they've made you laugh. And they're funny. And they've, you know, they're endearing to you because they've made you laugh. And... I think that's like a really powerful thing because typically in horror movies and zombie movies and stuff like you don't care when the characters die like you expect it and like you know you just don't care but in like Shaun of the Dead the characters are really funny and like you like them and you can picture like going out and having a beer with them and like them telling jokes and stuff and you know just having a fun time and I feel like there was some of that with K2SO where like you know, he was, and I don't even want to say he's comic relief, like, he was just, like, funny, and, like, everything was, like, fit, and it was just, like, really natural, and I think that that can go a long way in, like, making, like, a death of a robot shouldn't really matter in, you know, in a, in a movie, in a Star Wars movie, but with him, I don't know, like, I feel like that's the way he kind of endeared himself to us and that's why that was so impactful yeah i think that makes a lot of sense i mean laughter is one of those things that's kind of ingrained in us as humans for a very long time and like you said it i think it's one of those things that naturally brings down your guard and kind of endears you to a person or character or whatever so that makes a lot of sense well, and it's interesting to compare Rogue One to a horror film too i know that's not directly what you're doing you're just saying like a similar example but um there is so much kind of horror is not the right word, definitely, but there's so much like darkness and like, you know, pain in this movie, uh, especially mm-hmm. in the last act um, that, you know, it's it, it makes sense that the way an audience would react to certain elements of a horror film would uh, there'd be some connection to how we react to certain elements of this movie as well, just because there is a lot of darkness in it. But um, what I was going to say is that we, maybe we should zoom back and talk. I want, there was something you said a minute ago, a few minutes ago, Ryan, um, about like your initial, um, apprehensions about Rogue One that I think a lot of us had at, at least at some point in that, like, Hey, uh, maybe this is not a story that needs to be told in a film. You know what I mean? There's lots and lots of, I mean, we, we, we all watch rebels. We all love rebels, right? Like I don't need all of those stories. Like not every 22 minute episode of of rebels needs to be a movie it's a great Mm -hmm. 22 minute episode of rebels but it doesn't need to be a movie right um Mm -hmm. and so like i totally get where you're coming from with uh with rogue one and feeling that way and uh i certainly shared that concern at, at various points during the lead up to the to seeing the movie i think that the reason the movie works so well for me is that these characters are amazing like I love every single character. I went and saw the movie for the second time today with my seven-year-old, and as we were leaving the theater, he's like, "Who's your favorite character?" And I'm like, "I, I love every. I mean, every character in this movie is fantastic, hmm. um, uh, and it's an ensemble cast with lots of different um, actors. But like, 
And again, you know, you mentioned this when you're talking about the horror movie thing and laughter. Like, you care so much about all of these characters. And that is so, so impressive because there's so many of them and the movie is only two hours long and somehow they made me really, really care about all of them. And, and I think that's why it works. It's like, at the end of the day, the plot is cool and it's awesome that they steal the Death Star, but it's about these characters and the sacrifice they make. And uh, it doesn't work if, if you don't care about them. So... Um, I, th- I think that's that's what's really brilliant about it. And um, yeah, you know, th- I mean, I think that's what makes it work. I don't know. Yeah, I I wasn't expecting to. Like, honestly, like going into this movie, like I couldn't remember most of the characters' names. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still ex- accidentally refer to them by their actor names. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I was, I mean, once it's, you know, once, you know, that third act kicks in, like, I had, I wasn't expecting, like, the emotions I had. And I don't think it was, I don't think the third act is emotional in, like, like, in a filmic, like, manipulative way. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that it's, like, hammy or anything. Like, I don't think it's setting you up in to, like, knock you down or anything. I think it's just, like, the inevitability of the situation and just, you know, really strong performances. And, like, they don't hang on any one thing for, like, too long. And, like, it's just, I don't know, it's just movie magic that makes you... Yeah. like care so hard by the end. Yeah. And I definitely have some thoughts about the third act that, uh, I would love to discuss, um, you know, tonight for sure. But well, I think we should talk about the characters a little bit, you know, like I think with the force awakens, we kind of went through the plot a lot, um, in our reaction show and talked about like, Oh, cause there's so much, um, to sort of theorize and wonder about with the plot. So many elements that like, you know, there's two more movies. Like, how is this going to play out in future movies? But with this movie, we almost knew... We didn't know what the plot was before we saw it, but you know the ending. You know what they're trying to do. And there was a lot of surprises or or, or things that I wouldn't have thought of that happened in this movie. But I really do think it comes down to character. You know, like, it's a simple story. Like, they need to get these plans. They're going to get them. Um, and they're probably going to have to make a lot of sacrifices as they do. It's a simple story, but it's... It's um it's as moving as it is because of the characters. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe we could talk about like our our favorite characters, or just talk about you know a few of the characters. So I don't know if anybody's got one like off the bat that they would like to bring up a character to sort of talk about a little bit. I think I'd like to talk about Cassian Andor a little bit. Okay. Uh, he he's he was the one that we kind of saw uh, was clearly maybe you know the the lead. Uh, of the of the males, I mean, Jin is obviously the lead lead, but he seemed to be the one that that I thought we'd we'd see the most of, and I think that was largely true. Um, I was surprised by him right off the bat when he kills the guy who is, uh, you know, clearly on his side, and he gets in a tough situation, and he decides he has to kill the guy to uh, to help his cause or to uh, prevent you know him from being seen or. Um, Right away, that 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 stuck out to me as ooh, this this doesn't seem like it would happen in a, in a Star Wars movie. Mm. Um, it, and I think that maybe they were intentionally thinking of like the 
you know the Han Han Solo shoot shooting uh, Greedo moment, which is gets so much discussion. And mm. um, I, what I thought was, what does it mean that, that they went out of their way to show us that this guy would do something like this, or then you know a little while later where he kills one of the protesters because um, he thinks it's the, what is he, what is the line he says? Uh, he says something about this guy's gonna. I don't know, but I remember, Kevin, that we were talking about that um, Thursday night. Like, why did he do that, you know? And I watched yeah. it again today. Um, it was more clear. It was it was super clear the second time I watched it. Jin was hiding in front of the tank, and he had a thermal detonator or whatever you want to say, and he was about to throw it at that tank. So Jin was Jin was close to him. It wasn't... So well, Jin, he was Jin going to killed. he was going to kill Jin. That's why Cassian shot Got that it. guy. Yeah, Got yeah, yeah. Because before it. it seemed like... It it the uh, the sort of response I give you Thursday night was like, oh, I think he was going to endanger the mission, so that's why Cassian right. killed him. Right. But it was actually more personal than that. It was like, either I have to shoot this guy or Jin's probably going to die right now. So sure, but sure. But the the, the first guy though is clearly they wanted oh. us to be thinking like, wow, what kind of guy does that? This poor guy's got a broken yeah. arm, and then he gets yeah, you know, then he gets mm. uh, then he gets killed. And I think I think the answer revealed itself as we got to know that character a little more. That. One of the themes of this movie is that um, when you have a cause that you believe in in, in, in these movies, that, that you do do th- you do have to do things that, that aren't pretty, and that and and it, it's a it's a scary thing to think about. It's an uncomfortable thing to think about. Um, it gets glossed over in a lot of movies, and Rogue One chose to at least uh, dwell in it a little bit, and uh, it, it it it's it sort of sets up for later in the movie. When uh, when he talks, he talks about that a little bit, and he uh, he talks about you know being part of a revolution means what it means, and and it means you have to do things that you're not proud of, and it, uh, I, I forget the speech that he gives exactly, but uh, I thought great character. I thought I thought trying to figure out where he was throughout the movie and and what he was thinking at each at each turn was interesting. I yeah. thought his interactions with Jin were pretty dynamic, and uh, he had a he had a very clear arc in there, and I, I appreciated that, and I, I really liked his character, and I thought that Diego Luna did a great job. Uh, Diego Luna is amazing. He's he was mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, yeah, absolutely. He gave that speech on Yavin Four where he said, "Look, um, I've, there's a lot of things I've done that I regret." I'm paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he says, but uh, I wouldn't be able to, you know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to look at myself in the mirror. I, I can't remember exactly what he says, but like I wouldn't be able to sleep at night or whatever, you know, um, if I thought that was all for nothing. Like we got to take it all the way, right? Like we've we've done all these mm-hmm. things that like we want to forget that we don't feel good about, and um, like if that was just so we could give up now, uh, it wouldn't be right, you know. So we've got to keep going. So yeah, absolutely. I think it was it was twofold there in the beginning with that with that guy with the the bad arm it's like it's to show us that we're dealing with more of a gray area and with more complex characters who have more complex motivations um and and struggles and conflicts but also to show that like here's a guy who can he can do something that's uncomfortable if it's for the greater cause that he believes in and that 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 also was i think put the, <laughs> i think that all was also put there to set us up for the moment where he's been instructed to kill yeah, Galen Erso, and he's right exactly because he can do it. 
Exactly, because otherwise you're going to think like, oh, well, that's the good guy character. He won't do that. You know what I mean? Which, of course, right. he didn't, but you believed he would, you know? Mm-hmm. I expected her to stop him. I expected her to tackle him at the last second or something because um, they had convinced me that he's the, he is the guy who can pull the trigger in that moment, you know? Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Cassian's, Cassian was great. I thought he had, uh, he was, you know, very serious and very, like, very, uh, I don't know, stoic. Um, he had a but, charm about him, but, but there, not, not. I wouldn't say. I, you could, excuse me. <clears throat> uh, you could compare it to Han Solo, but I wouldn't say that uh, it was a, a ripoff of that character or anything. It, it, it just he, he was more charming than funny. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and his connection with K two was uh, was you know wasn't super overemphasized or anything, but that like humanized him a little bit or gave him a little more depth as well because there seemed to be some real affection between those two uh, also. So, yeah. Um, other uh, other standout characters for you guys? Anybody else? Um, I thought they did a really good job with Krennic. Um, yeah. I didn't know if it was going to just be some, you know, generic, uh, here's another Imperial guy that they're bringing in, but I thought they gave him a good connection to the Urso family and... Um, they played his story out well. You know, they showed his desperation when he goes to uh, Vader to try to get control back of his project. And, uh, you know, and he kind of fights with it all the way to the end. And, yeah, I, I liked him. One of the really... I, uh, John and I, and I don't, I don't know about you, I don't think you guys did, but we both read Catalyst. And I was so amazed in Rogue One that they, they were able to set up a lot of that stuff that, that happens in Catalyst with very little dialogue. The best example that I can think of is when Krennic says that thing about Lyra where he says, oh, there you are as, what does he say? As reckless as ever or as troublesome as ever? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. I mean, that one line pretty much sums up Catalyst. And, and, yeah. And I'm, I don't mean that as a slam to Catalyst. I loved Catalyst. But it's really difficult to to tell backstory with little bits of... <coughs> With little bits of dialogue, and I think they did an awesome job with with Krennic in the, in that in that realm. Yeah, I think you could tell that there was a there was quite a bit of history between those three, you know, between Krennic and um, and uh, Galen and and, and Lyra, um, mm-hmm. and that's really what Catalyst is. I mean, honestly, I think I think if you loved Rogue One, you definitely should go read Catalyst. It was a really good book. Um, I, I really recommend it. But it's essentially just like. Hey, do you want to know more about the relationship between Galen and Director Krennic? That's the book. Very little happens. <laughs> it's not like plot based at all. It's all about developing character, um, and and Lyra too. Quite a bit of development of Lyra as well. But yeah, those three, and um, it, it was it was, it, but it was still like you said, Kevin. It was really impressive how much of that like backstory and relationship and they were able to allude to and sort of like create for viewers, I think um, just in those few dialogue exchanges they had there. So uh, yeah, but again, you know, Ben Mendelsohn, he's amazing. Uh, He was great. Um, Kevin, I think you said on Thursday night that you felt like sympathetic for Krennic. Like when, when only at the very end, which was really, I mean, (laughs) he does some awful things in that movie. And then at the very end when he's, you know, when he's dead or dying, it, I, I did. I felt a little bad for him, and I, I'm not exactly sure why. I th- I think that's sign. a really powerful scene, though, with him like watching 
the Death Star like rise up and oh, yeah. then yep. basically destroy him. Yeah. Like and everything and like I th- I thought that scene I like I definitely I it maybe empathy isn't the right word, but like you feel his pain. Yeah. I guess. And like you don't have to like him or anything and you shouldn't, but you feel his like pain like he was a brilliant ambitious person who also was extremely evil yeah and kind of like you know got what was coming to him but like i don't know you could really feel like what he was probably thinking and feeling at that moment well i think if you couple that moment where he's seeing the death star on the horizon um you know literally becoming his undoing if you couple that moment and the moment when Vader chokes him and says, be careful not to choke on your aspirations, Director Krennic. No, no, I love that, but we'll come back to it. But if you take <laughs> okay. if you take that moment, the moment where he sees the Death Star is about to destroy him, and a lot of Catalyst, that is, Director Krennic, that is the character that they are building. They are building yeah. someone who is so ambitious and has such a drive to build himself up and turn himself into something great. He's a Gatsby-esque character. I hate to do that as an English teacher in the room, but like, Mm. well, one of the English teachers in the room, but he is a Gatsby-esque character. Like, he is driven to be great. He wants to, you know, do something great. He wants to rise up the ranks of the Empire. He wants to, um, he wants to be somebody that people respect. He wants all of that, you know? He has a lot of aspiration. And so I feel like, um, yeah, that line from Vader is a little cheesy or whatever, and it's a pun mm-hmm. and all that, but it's it's so perfect for who he is as a character for Krennic, you know? That's that's that is one hundred percent who he is. Well and it's the flip side of the coin with Cassian Andor where he <coughs> his cause is, is pretty selfless. He's giving up himself to do this cause he believes in. Whereas Krennic, his whole cause is selfish. I get I get the feeling that he's not motivated by the ideology of the empire. He's motivated by selfishness and, and this the seeking power and seeking notoriety. But the, and, and yeah, I agree 100%. And that's what makes him a more sympathetic character to a certain extent. Because that's just part of humanity. That's just a, that's a very human trait. Like right. a person I mean, when you see that the Death Star is going to destroy him, you're seeing something that would not have been possible without him. I mean, his drive is what in part what created that thing. Yeah. And and if you saw Tarkin on that bridge, and then Cassian Andor headshot Tarkin, you'd think, oh, the evil mustache-twirling bad guy is now destroyed. With Krennic, you think, that's a human being, and I don't like him, and he's extremely mm-hmm. flawed, but he was motivated by things that I can relate to and understand because they're very just, you know, um, very down-to-earth kind of things. I mean, most of us don't have the desire to, you know, we don't have the aspirations to be great or successful to such a degree that we would destroy anybody that gets in our way like Krennic does. So, you know, there's certainly a very small amount of empathy or or whatever that I would feel towards him. But um, I feel like he's a more rich character than a lot of other villains in, um, I I don't want to just say Star Wars, but just in like genre fiction or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Like, because he's, I don't know, he's not just some guy who wants to be evil and rule the world. He's a guy who Mm -hmm. feels disrespected and wants more success you know yeah and he wants his boss to tell him he did a good job which is literally like i think something that um most of us can relate to or have related to at some point 
in our lives. Like we've worked really hard and, you know, we, we don't want to get scolded for our hard work. We want to be told we did a good job. Yep. And that's, I an, think that's natural. Absolutely. And that's another thing with Catalyst too, is that Catalyst really pits Tarkin and Krennic against one another. So then when mm-hmm. you're watching Rogue One and you see like how Tarkin is just like, ah, yeah, cool. You spent 20 years developing this Death Star. I'm gonna go ahead and take it from you. Um, like, which is like mm. pretty horrible. Um, but it, it, all those seeds were planted in, in Catalyst. So. Well, I mean, that no. kind of just smacks of the way the Empire works, at least at the highest levels. Uh, you know, yeah. Tarkin really fits that mold, even though he's not a force user or anything like that. But that's exactly how you'd expect a Sith to react. Uh huh. Yeah, for sure. For mm-hmm. sure. Um, all right. Well, uh, I would, I think I would throw out, um, or, or, or suggest like, let's talk about Chirrut and Bass. Um, because I love Chirrut and Bass so much. It's hard to explain. Like they are so fantastic. And I went into the movie thinking like, I'm going to love these guys. But, um, oh my God, they're, 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 they're great. Like I knew I would love Chirrut because he brings some of the mysticism to a movie that's otherwise very grounded. Um, Mm -hmm. but, uh, just the interactions between them and the, I mean, frankly, the, the, the love that you could feel between those characters that I think deep love that you could feel between them, whether it was, um, completely, um, you know, just a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Platonic. Platonic. Yeah. Whether it's completely platonic or if there's something romantic there, I don't know. Um, I could definitely see there being a romantic element to that, to that relationship. But regardless, like the, the love that those characters had for one another and, um, just the connection between them, I think was, was really, really great. And, uh, Donnie Yen was hilarious. I thought Bays was hilarious. Um, Bays, I feel like, is like a, a human live-action version of uh, Zeb from Rebels. And uh, I love Zeb. <laughs> I love Zeb as well. So I could, yeah. I could totally, like, uh, totally see that. But, but no, those two characters were, were among my favorite in the movie. It's hard to choose uh, one or two characters when they're all wonderful. But, um, but I love those guys. Um, and then, go ahead, Dan. No, I was just going to say, I also love Bodhi Rook. Uh, and he was the one guy where I was like, you know what? That character is going to be pretty, I don't know, uninteresting to me. Just, oh, he's the Imperial pilot. Uh, yeah, he can fly a ship. Uh, um, ooh, will he turn bad again or will he stay good? Like that's, I felt like that was all he would be, but, uh, the performance and, and really the writing wise, there wasn't that much to Riz Ahmed, or to uh, Bodhi Rook, but I thought Riz Ahmed was, uh, was pretty, pretty incredible. Did any of you guys watch The Night Of on HBO? I, I No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, It was weird not projecting uh, kind of his character from that into this because he, he like it really is humanized in, in that show. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, yeah, kind yeah. of did that with his character in this movie because it's the only thing I've ever seen him in before. You know? Sure, sure, sure. Well, I feel like uh, between Ben Mendelsohn, Mads Mikkelsen, and Riz Ahmed, um, if you're someone who watches like... Um, I guess kind of celebrated, you know, television shows like Night of and, um, you know, uh, Hannibal and, uh, Bloodline, stuff like that. Those guys are pretty well known. Um, but, but I thought all three of them were, were really great. Um, yeah. Can we talk about Jen? <laughs> yeah, we can talk about Jen. That's your character, Ryan. Let's talk about Jen. 
Yeah, um, she was fantastic. Like, I mean, it was just, it was really cool to see, um, you know, see a, again, I mean, I guess it's not even weird anymore to see, like, strong, (laughs) strong female leads in Star Wars. Like, that's not even a, that's not even a, a, a new thing now. Um, but I just, I thought, um, you know, she was great just as a, you know, internally conflicted character. Um, also just like a confident, no nonsense character, like her interaction with Saw Guerrera was, I, I thought was pretty incredible where he's like, oh, they sent you to kill me. And like, it was like, it was going to be like this whole like game thing. And she's like, no, this is actually what's happening. I don't really care. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is yeah, exactly was... what they told me to say. Like, I don't care about any of this. I just want to be done. <laughs> like, yeah. and that was the, that was the moment that re- that like really, um, you know, made me love that character. And then well, from there, I was just like so on board. I thought that was great too. Um, great writing in that moment because he's a father figure for her, you know, mm-hmm. and and he seems really moved, like or very upset at the idea that she might be there to kill him, uh, rightfully so, you know. Like he he has to he starts that line. He's like, "Did they send you? Are you here to?" Like he has to start it over, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think because it was like very tough for him to get out. Uh, which I thought was great. Um, but uh, her reaction is just like, she doesn't even directly address his question. She's just like, oh, this is what's happening. Like, I don't know. She just doesn't, she's not like overly emotional, even though he is. But then shortly after that, she sees that hologram and just breaks down. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's like, she's real, like she's she's very tough and she's very unemotional uh, in that moment with Saw Gerrera. Um, and that just, I think, only improves... Uh, the impact of 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 the 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 hologram and how she reacts to it. So yeah, when she said that to Sagrera, my thought was, <coughs> why is she not answering his question really clearly? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this, this could get really ugly. Or is she just like really cold? Like why is she not? Yeah, she's tough. She, yeah, she she was she was as you know we've said she's confident. She's tough. She wasn't scared of that. Yeah, and and uh, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. And I I love her like attempted escape from her rescue like at the beginning as well <laughs> like yeah. when like those people like the alliance is obviously there to rescue her and she <laughs> just starts like wailing on them with shovels and stuff yeah like, she's like I'll hit you in the face with a shovel <laughs> uh, yeah oh it's so good no yeah she was she was great and um it was yeah it was it was definitely I mean it was I I guess you'd say it was a pretty predictable arc for her to start out as somebody who doesn't care about the cause. And by the end, she's, you know, the one who's inspiring others. To, That's to fight very for Han Solo arc, like in yeah. A New Hope. Mm-hmm. I think it was more t- closely tied with her familial connections there with the whole thing. Um, yeah. 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 Which is a very, very Star Warsy thing. The, yeah. the sins of the father. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, um although I don't know. I I I feel like uh it it's it's interesting because I mean he he made the Death Star possible 
um, and certainly contributed to that weapon existing and, and, and whatnot. But um, he's also, you know, it depends on how you look at it, because he's also kind of the only reason, probably, that the Rebellion was ever able to destroy that thing. So um, I feel like they did that in a way where it was very plausible, like you understood why he would do what he did. And uh, because when you read Catalyst, like I read Catalyst before seeing the movie, I was like, no way this guy would would con- like knowingly make this Death Star. You know, like he's just too moral. Um, but I feel like his his uh, hologram. I don't know who wrote that. Like, because there's a lot of there's a few different writers on Rogue One. That speech was amazing from from Galen or so. Um, that was the first, and maybe that's the moment where I was really hooked into this movie because it was so emotional and it was just so. It did so much. I mean it. It was very moving. It also explained a lot about the plot. It was just, I think, perfectly written. It was so good. Um, and, the, and the performance from both... The performance from Galen Erso... Or <laughs> Galen Erso. Uh, the performance from uh, Mads Mikkelsen was, was fantastic. Um, probably even better from, from Jin. <laughs> Got to keep referring to them as their <laughs> character names. But from Felicity Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, and her reaction to it was, was incredible as well. Yeah. Yeah, that was very moving. I was... I was I was very impressed with that scene, how it played out on on all ends, and uh, very touching. Yeah, I uh, I, I kind of was thinking that it was going to get sappy when I saw that hologram, but uh, handled very very eloquently. Yeah, very gracefully. Yeah, and I think you know it's it. I guess we should have started with Jen Ryan, which uh, you know I'm glad that you uh, directed us to to discuss her. Uh, at this point, obviously, we would have been talking about her throughout, but uh, probably should have started with her. I mean, she's the most important character in the movie, um, and she is the heart of the movie. But um, I do think I knew what to expect with her probably more than any other character mm-hmm. um, going into it just because she's the star, and they, they talked the most about her going into it. Um, and I think it's just, it was a, like I said, it was a pretty predictable character arc for her. And really, they probably all were. I mean... What Chirrut and Baze, like th- obviously that was a very predictable character arc for them as well. Um, really, all of them. I think it was it was pretty clear how it was going to go down. Maybe um, Cassian. I didn't necessarily expect him to be a kind of guy who would be willing to you know to kill friendlies or whatever mm-hmm. um, in service of a mission. So that was a little surprising. But for the most part, there weren't there weren't too many surprises in plot wise, or you know you know. Um, what do you call the M Night uh, uh, twists? There weren't too many twists necessarily with the characters. Um, the, the Shyamalans. There weren't, yeah, too, there weren't many too many Shyamalans. No, there weren't. But but uh, but that's almost like to a certain extent that's almost more impressive, isn't it? Like um, I I could have told you how this character arc was going to work out before I saw the movie for most of the characters, and yet. I was twice as invested in him as I expected to be because of the little things, you know? It's not about the larger, like, macro-scale plot arc of these characters. It's about how the writers and the actors and the director and everybody involved brought them to life in a, in a really moving and uh, impressive and surprising way. I think that that's my big takeaway from Rogue One. Um, that's not always the case in Star Wars movies, you know? Uh, but I think in, in Rogue One, it was just like, every single one of them felt uh, very real and very relatable and just um, very personable. And, and uh, I care about all these characters. 
I don't, I don't know that I care that much about Keati Mundi, you know what I mean? Or um, other like supporting characters in, in other Star Wars movies. Rick Olay? In this one. Yeah, Rick Olay, I'm not too sure. Um, but, uh, but these ones are, are incredible. It's not just like, it's not just Cassian and, and Jin and Galen. It's, you know, Bodhi Rook and Baze Malvis and, and some of these more uh, minor characters I, I feel like are also really impactful. What about some of the uh, returning characters? <coughs> Uh, the, of the new characters. What about some of the familiar faces? Which, by the way, that's that's a pretty major feat, isn't it? That like this is a movie starring Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin and uh, and um, uh, Bail Organa and you know Princess Leia and like I didn't even think to talk about any of them. You know what I mean? Like I wanted to talk about the new characters. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about the the returning characters? I mean, I almost said that my favorite character in the movie was uh, Princess Leia. (laughs) Um, Because that was the surprise for Mm me. Um, I don't know, like, again, like, this this movie, I was... And I was kind of like this with Force Awakens. Like, as we got closer to release date, I just kind of cut myself off from media. I wasn't reading, you know, the spoiler sites or anything like that. Um, wasn't listening to podcasts, anything as we got closer. So I don't know. Did you guys know that she was going to be in the film? I did not. I mean, I didn't think it was like a super surprise because I knew it was going to end like 15 seconds before A New Hope. Right. Um, But no, I didn't know. I considered that possibility, but no, I didn't know. Uh, Yeah, and I didn't know either. I knew Tarkin was going to be in the movie. Right. As did I. That that had been rumored so heavily, and uh, if you read Catalyst, Tarkin's all over the place in Catalyst. It was just, it was pretty clear Tarkin would be in it. I was surprised by how much he was in it, because yeah. I, 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 like you, Ryan, I really didn't look into much about this movie at all. And not that I even avoided spoilers or anything, I just just didn't look into it that much. I, I had heard whispers, uh, and I think that was almost like, like what Kevin said, like, just people thinking logically like, well, she's probably going to be in it. You know what I mean? Or it would make sense for her to be there for just a moment or two, which is mm-hmm. all she gets. But, um, but uh, no, I knew Tarkin would be there. I didn't know about Leia. Um, although once I saw what they were able to accomplish with Tarkin as a digital character, I was like, well, all bets are off, man. I mean, anybody could be in this movie at this point. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I thought he looked really good. There were a couple spots <coughs> in the beginning where I got that like uncanny Valley type thing. But for the, I would say 99% of the time, I thought he looked excellent. So here's my thing. I went and saw the movie again today, and it is utterly convincing. And I think the problem is, not the problem, but I think my experience seeing it the first time was like, hold on, wait a minute. My brain is in shock. Peter Cushing Mm -hmm. is dead. He can't be here right now. I've heard rumors they're going to digitally recreate him, but like, how is this happening? This doesn't make sense. I need to scrutinize it to an, mm-hmm. un, like to a ridiculous degree, and it, it's just I, I couldn't accept it. And I feel like even by the second or third scene that he was in in the movie, I had stopped doing that, and it was almost like, oh, the second time I saw him, it looked more realistic. Is that because the animation was better in the second scene? No, it's just because I was like flipping out the first time I watched it. Well, so I went and saw it today, and from that first scene all the way through, I was just like. I didn't, I mean, of course I thought about it, but it was just like, it was so convincing. I think it's incredible that they pulled that off. Yeah. I think if you're somebody who's maybe not so intimately familiar with it or, 
you're just going to see this movie for some reason, mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily know that it's a CG character. Well, and 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 this is this is my testament, my my little personal anecdote. That's a testament to the um, the quality of the, of the digital recreation. Um, I was my wife was next to me at the at the movie theater, and uh, she turned to me about you know 15 seconds into Tarkin's first scene, and she's like, "Isn't that guy dead?" And I and I was like, "He died 15 years ago. Yeah, he's dead." <laughs> um, and she just looked at me like wait, so is he CG? And I was like, yeah, he's CG. She's like, oh, wow, that's impressive. Okay, then we continue watching the movie, whatever. Then at the end, Princess Leia shows up. She turns to me again after I've already explained to her that yes, they digitally recreated <laughs> Grandma Tarkin. She turns to me and she's like, wait, is that Leia? Or like, how did who did they get to do that? Like, in other words, she didn't immediately jump to, oh, it's CG. Like, it was so convincing to her that she was like, did they like cut and paste her from a different movie or like, which actually I think they did with some X-Wing pilots in Rogue One. So um, they, they brought back other characters in different ways. But just the fact that like a person would go into this movie, see a digitally recreated character, be told that it's a digitally recreated character, then see a digitally cr- recreated Princess Leia and have to ask, is it digitally recreated? Like, I think that tells you what you need to know, which is that it's wildly convincing and super successful. Um, just so impressive. I'm blown away. And I really hope that this movie gets the credit it deserves for doing uh, all of those things you mentioned. Tarkin, Leia, the yeah. X-Wing pilots, these are huge achievements. And mm-hmm. I'm hearing a lot of sort of naysayers um, balk at the lack of perfection. But, I mean, come on. Special effects are not always, are not perfect. Look... Watch Return of the Jedi. Does the Rancor look like a real monster or a little toy? It looks like a little toy. It's okay. It's great. It, it was. It looked really cool at the time, and I can still appreciate it. And it's kind of nice to see Star Wars still pushing that frontier on the effects because they've yeah. really done that with yep. pretty much every movie that's been out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that four-second Leia scene is more impressive to me than any like CG action scene like in this movie or any other movie I've seen in like years like that you know when they they walk up and like her her back's turned like there was already like that first like twinge of like oh this is this is so good like yeah. it's layered. If that was ten years ago, it would have probably ended there, and you wouldn't have seen her face. And we still yeah. would have been like, "Oh, that's cool that they did the homage." Well, you know? Tarkin, right. there was a guy playing Tarkin in Revenge of the Sith, and they just they just put him really far away. And I remember even at that time thinking, "That's so cool! It looks just like Tarkin." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, s- <laughs> it looks like horrible now if you compare it to what's in <laughs> Rogue One. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I saw like you see her back, and I'm like, "Oh, this is so good." This is uh wow yeah. wow and it was like already after like these this really powerful like I mean it was like powerful scene after powerful scene and then you get that and you're just like oh my god this is so good what a way what a way to end this film and then she turns around and you're just like holy shit like yeah. I don't know. It that was that hit me so hard. Like I was just amazed. Like and movies don't blow me away visually anymore. It's the same thing with like video games and stuff. We've reached that point of like you know, like everything just looks amazing all the time and you don't get that like 
seeing like what people got when they saw Star Wars in you know the theaters for the first time or like when you know when you played like Final Fantasy 7 or Mario 64 for the first time and you're like oh my god like this is blowing my mind like you don't get that anymore with movies um but like that that moment like was was huge and it made it you know even right now having this conversation i'm i'm thinking about the future and all the things they can do like that and it's exciting yeah it's kind of we don't need to get too much into this we can talk about it some other time but i really wonder how this is going to affect not only contracts but just just the whole industry in general, like, yeah, it, it probably took them a lot of effort to do it this time around. But you know how that goes in five, ten years. It's going to be they can just crank it out anytime. So are people just going to get their bodies scanned when they're 23 and only appear like that in movies for the rest of their lives? <laughs> right, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, because it's like, oh, well, it's impressive and they can do it and it's amazing. Um, but then there's also the ethical question, too, like with Leia, not so much because Carrie Fisher's there to say, like, sure, go ahead. I was wondering about that. Does Tarkin have? Does Tarkin's family or estate get any? Uh, I'm sure Tarkin? they do. I'm sure they I, do I, because I, I'm pretty sure I read his family approved it. Oh, oh no, there's a prominent note in the in the like the cast list or whatever on the credits that says like special thanks to the no, estate of no, of uh, yeah Peter Cushing, which to me was like they got some straight up money so that we could do this. You know what I mean or mm-hmm. or whatever it is. But and it's fine that they did. Well, I mean, especially when he's playing like. A really major character in the movie. Yeah, it's not yeah, like yeah. he's just in there, like you mentioned at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith, just kind of standing on the bridge of a ship. You know, and mm-hmm. they did the same thing with his reveal. I mean, how many of us were thinking, "Oh, they're going to show his reflection." Oh, that's pretty cool. No, that, that would have been ama- that, that alone would have been amazing. <laughs> and then you know when what he mean? turns around, it's it's like seeing a ghost. I, it, yeah. I just it it washed over me like this shock. I I couldn't even believe what I was looking at, yeah. and I knew, and I kind of. I had heard rumors about that happening. So yeah, very impressive. They, they deserve a huge, huge credit for yeah. that. And I've read a lot of naysaying about that, but I think that's misguided. Yeah. yeah. One of the first reviews I read of the movie, was like, Oh yeah. You know, they bring this character back to life. Um, we won't say who it is, but he died 14 years ago or whatever it was. I was like, okay, well, well that narrows it down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, they're like, and it's pretty unconvincing, or not unconvincing. I don't know what it said, but it was. It's like it's a weird moment that doesn't look quite right, or something. I was like, "What are you talking about? It's incredible, you yeah. know." And we're, I, not, and we're not saying it looks perfect. It's just it's it's an unbelievable achievement. We can't. I, yeah, I, guess, I mean, it doesn't. Look, I guess it doesn't look perfect, but like, I honestly think. I mean, Owen. I mean, Owen Seven. He had no idea. I got out of the movie theater and I was like, did you know that like the guy that plays Tarkin is not alive anymore? He's like, what, they cloned him? I was like, no, no, no. no they, they... <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think he quite gets, like, I don't think he quite gets how you can like use computer graphics yeah. to like create. Like I was, I was like, oh, they did it like Jar Jar. And he's like, how'd they do Jar Jar? Like he doesn't quite get that it's a computer generated thing. Yeah. But, I um... don't get how that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> but no, I mean, he had no idea, you know, he just. Who's just watching the movie and like, oh, there's a person. Be for some other awards besides Oscars and things, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if they don't get major awards for that, there's really something wrong. Oh, yeah. that's, yeah. Well, George isn't associated with the movie, so there's probably a better <laughs> chance because of that. Yeah. But, but all, all I was going to say uh, a minute ago before I got distracted by telling my story about Owen is just that, like, I really think that if you went into that movie and you didn't know who Peter Cushing is, you didn't know that the guy who plays Tarkin is dead or didn't know who Tarkin mm-hmm. is or whatever, 
I, I don't, I honestly don't think a person would walk away from that thinking like, oh, there was something wrong with that, that actor or that was not a real, I don't think people would know that wasn't a real person. Mm-hmm. I think because we immediately when we see him say, he's dead, I need to scrutinize this performance. I think that's why we notice. I don't think we would otherwise. To me, it's that impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, what's funny too is that I looked up the pictures of the guy that they had playing him. Who they, they obviously yeah. did the CG models over him. Mm-hmm. He looks he looks like Tarkin. They could have made him look like Tarkin with makeup. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it would and it would have been pretty convincing. I mean, he was younger, but uh, I, th- I think it just shows that they were really excited about the technology. They knew they could do something special, and they did. And hats off to him. Mm-hmm. All right, let's what, one Vader. last thing on this. <laughs> Okay. Real quick, um, but this is important. Um, I I feel like your like casual um, reference is good, and like yeah, like certain people are scrutinizing it. But surprise, cynical nerds nitpick Star Wars till they <laughs> hate it. Um, but like what it what it actually kind of reminds me from like from a casual perspective, like how I think I can relate to that is seeing the Weezer Buddy Holly video for the first time and Mm -hmm. like kind of knowing what Happy Days was like maybe I'd seen it like a little bit but I I like knew that it was like a thing that was like you know a while before but you know seeing it in like you know years later like um in that video, like I thought in like the way that they, you know, Spike Jones did that, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I just kind of like accepted it, even though it probably doesn't like look quite right. And if you like really watch sure. the show, you're probably like, whoa, that's not, that's weird. But I don't know. For me, it like totally worked. and still does. All right, Darth Vader. Uh, somebody brought him up a minute ago. Let's talk about him. Um, what do you guys think? Overused, underused, well used? Just right. Just right. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is I. One of the <coughs> thing, one of the things I've been thinking about most since uh, since I saw the movie a f- couple nights ago is that castle. Um, that's something that I've been wanting to see my entire life since I, I started you, Kevin. since I started looking at the artwork of that movie uh, the Ralph McQuarrie paintings and stuff whenever it was that they released that stuff I don't know if it's my whole life but mm-hmm. uh, for, for decades I've been I've been thinking about that castle and, and wishing that was a part of the the canon and uh, I'm so excited we got to see it and it looked great yeah I think that was one of the best parts of, uh, of Darth Vader's involvement in Rogue One um I love the fact, love, love, love the fact that every planet we go to in Rogue One gets a little title card telling you where they are, but uh, that planet does not. 
I think it's pretty clear that it's Mustafar. Um, I think Pablo Hidalgo has confirmed that. Okay. Yes. Oh, did he? Okay. Um, I did not see that. I did see that he changed the, his Twitter name um, to see you next year because he was like, okay, I don't think I'm going to answer any Rogue One questions until next year so people have a chance to like see the movie before I spoil things. So, um, But that's good. I'm glad it's Mustafar. I mean... Uh, Dude, I mean, you can see a, a a river of lava right next to his castle. It's in, you know, it's got to be Mustafar. But um, I still think it's cool that they don't say Mustafar, Darth Vader's Darth Vader's castle. You know, <laughs> um, not because that would not not because Ryan, you that was just was like his workplace. That well, whatever. <laughs> okay, Darth Vader headquarters. Um, <laughs> Darth Vader home base. Not no, maybe no. in the special I, edition. <laughs> no, no. I mean, like I think it's cool that the, the, the text is not there. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it, uh, it, it, you know, like the lack of a title on that planet when every other planet gets one is a way of emphasizing the importance of it or, you know what I mean? Like it adds emphasis to it. So I think that's cool. I think it's also cool just because like I was saying earlier in the show, um, we know how the movie's going to end. The plot is pretty straightforward. Like this is not a surprising movie on a lot of levels. But I had no idea that I was going to see Darth Vader's castle, and I like the fact that there's a little mystery about it. I don't. We don't. We don't need to tell you where it is. You're going to be able to figure it out. But we don't need to tell you where it is. We don't have to give it a name. But this evil presence is here in his evil lair, and take a look at it, and it's awesome. You know, like I love that. I I, I love I love that. I got really excited when I saw that because I knew right away what it was, and. Then we le- leads into the back to tank scene, which um, you know I, I was I was really hoping for Hayden Christensen. Yeah, as was I. That was I would say that's the only thing that would I'd be disappointed about with with the Vader in this movie. <coughs> they could have just done a, you know, a, a, they intentionally like teased you there and didn't go down that extra foot for the view in the back to tank. I, it, they clearly made it kind of look like him and. Uh, and yeah. I understand why they don't have him in the suit. I mean, he's not as big as David Prowse and stuff. And well, I mean, you couldn't have him in the back to tank, though. Or the guys that do it now. But yeah, right, right. Yeah, there'd be no reason to put him in the suit, but they could they could have... Well, I think they did recreate his likeness. They just didn't right. actually end up really showing it in a way where you could see that. Um, but from that behind-the-scenes footage, you can see that maquette or whatever you want to call it, and it definitely is based on Hayden Christensen. There's no doubt about it. Um, but they would need to age him up considerably, I think. You know, this is like what four years before yeah, Return of the Jedi. So he should look like pretty old, years or something like that. Yeah, if they had put him in there, he should look pretty old. He shouldn't look like Hayden in Revenge of the Sith. I mean, that was twenty years ago, right? So he should look pretty different. I like that. I like that scene. I thought it. You know, <coughs> I was surprised to see the royal guards there and uh, whoever that hooded minion of his is that that tells no. him he is a visitor. Uh, all of that is really cool. It reminds me of some of the some of the sort of imagination stoking things from the original trilogy. Yeah, you've got those couple of guys, shrouded guys that are with the emperor a couple different times. Yeah, I agree. I love everything about it except for I feel like it's and this is a weird thing to say, but I almost feel like it's a little demeaning to Darth Vader to see him that way, and I wonder like was it necessary to show him floating there? Because it's almost like, I feel like it's, to a certain extent, like a little bit of me feels like it's a like, hey, let's point and stare at 
at Darth Vader with no arms and no legs floating around in a back to tank thing. You know, it's almost, it seems like almost they did it for shock as much as anything else. Um, I feel like there's a way to have done that scene without showing him floating in the water in like that. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I don't know, like I'm, I don't have a definitive opinion on it. Like, I, Oh, they definitely shouldn't have done that. That's not what I'm saying, but it just, it certainly made me feel weird. Like I saw it and I was like, I don't know if I like that or not, you know? And I, I think that's still where I am. Um, so I'm certainly not super upset about it, but I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, like, did they need to show him that way? It was because a it, really weird choice for an introduction of, like, the most iconic Star Wars character. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like this is, and Ryan, you said something really similar to this earlier tonight, but I feel like this is a movie, this is not a movie that lingers on, on grotesque images, you know? Mm-hmm. There's lots of death. There's lots of death and pain and suffering in this movie, but and the camera gets right down in there in the battle sequences, and you feel like you're part of these battle sequences, but it never chooses to linger on dead bodies or you know wounds or anything really like grotesque or super violent. Like it's it's not that kind of movie, um, and it doesn't really linger on Darth Vader's body in that back to tank either. But it certainly seems to be more voyeuristic in that moment than it is in any other point. I think, and it just feels a little weird. Well, and I, part of me thinks the way that they did that, uh, you know, not giving the nameplate up there. Yeah. For people that are maybe going into this and just don't know that stuff, they probably didn't realize that that's what who it was when it's in the back tank. Yeah. All that, all that being said, I think that guy in the hood is one of the most interesting things about it, about the movie. And just like Kevin was saying, the castle is so cool. And like, you've been thinking about that for a long time. I love the fact that the movie's over and I'm like, who is that guy in the hood? What was he doing there? Like, I love that. I want more of that. Like, does he know the force? Yeah, no, that's like one of the things with, um, there's not too much of that in Rogue One. I, I do think it's a more down to earth, straightforward movie. Mm -hmm. Um, episode eight, like we could have debated or been, you know, theorizing about a million things when it was over. You mean seven? Oh, seven, episode seven. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, this Probably one, eight as well. Well, I hope so. <laughs> this one, this one, not as much. Um, we know who Jen's parents are. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's, I'm really curious about that guy. Does he have a whole staff? Like, is that guy a force user in some way? It's just interesting. I mean, you know, he had that. He didn't have Imperial garb on. He had mm-hmm. garb that was more related, like more religious or spiritual type uh, look to it, so it's almost yeah, like a that. Jedi robe. Well, yeah, or like a Sith robe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So then we, so then we get Vader, <coughs> Vader walking down the ramp, um, approaching Krennig, and they have a little conversation. Uh, my first, my first thought there was that James Earl Jones sounded amazing. Uh, I thought they did a really good job with his voice. Um, there are some times in Rebels where I feel like I, I can, I can tell he's an older James Earl Jones, and. Um, I was a little worried maybe that it, it wouldn't sound quite right in, in Rebels and in this, and I, I think overall I'm really happy with uh, him coming back and doing all of that. And Yeah, I was when, he, when I first heard him, I was just thinking to myself during the movie, I'm like, man, it's going to be weird if they ever do these and don't have James Earl Jones. I mean, the day is going to come, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they'll handle it fine. Cause they'll they just get somebody that. who's really, really good at it. Or they'll just take his own words from everything he's done and do it with that. You know what I mean? Sure. They've got a lot of options. But yeah, it was really weird because it... He is so tightly knit to that character. Can somebody explain to me what was popping off with his neck, though? Like, it, that thing seems like his, like, the bottom, 
Has it been like that in other Star Wars movies, and I just didn't notice it? I noticed that. It's hardcore. <laughs> yeah, it's wider around his neck, isn't it? Not only is it wider, but it feels like there's like this big gap between, like, it's not flush with his like chest or anything. Yeah, it feels like it's like sticking out. I it, wonder. It if It looks it's like super that more plasticky. In- too. I wonder if it's more like that in A New Hope and we just don't notice it or something. Well, to check because I feel like I could have, like, if I was there, I could have taken my fingers and, like, you know, my whole hand and put it, like, in between, like, his neck and the bottom of that helmet because it's just, like, open. You know what I mean? Like, sticks out, like, two inches off the front of his chest. Just... He did just get dressed after the back-to-bath. So yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. it maybe there's another layer of the wardrobe I... or something. I did like that they had the red lenses in the helmet. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was very obvious right away. Yep, 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 yep. And oh, and the, and the line, which we talked about earlier, I don't mind it at all, the choke on your aspirations line. Oh, I love it. I, I mean, that that isn't that far from uh, Apology Accepted, Captain Nita. Or, I mean, it, yeah. it fits to me. No, it's it's exactly one of those lines, you know? It, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was jarring for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I That whole scene was like, I don't know, I needed... I needed like a f- maybe if like a few more moments to get situated with that, I guess, because I mean it's it's a really weird thing. Like, you know, Darth Vader like back on the the movie screen. Um like it's it's weird and it it was it was weird in Revenge of the Sith. Like, and I don't know if they totally stuck that landing um with, you know, him in the suit for the first time. Um, and it was, you know, it was a little off and weird here to me at the beginning. Um, I think it will be different once I see the film again, because I mean, by the time we got to, you know, Vader's Nick's big scene at the, at the end of the film, like, I mean, I was, I was on board for that. And it was, I mean, that was incredible. Yeah. And and I think it kind of played out just how they needed it too. Yeah. You know, everybody's wanted to see that brutality from Vader since, you know, the early eighties and they haven't ever really given that to us. When you see him in rebels, it's not that type of a thing because he's still kind of facing off against Jedi. So it's a different type of battle. Um, but I thought they gave you just enough. Uh, I was really afraid when they, when they said that they were going to be, uh, having him fight against people that it was just going to be like this 15 minute thing of Vader fighting dudes and just wrecking everybody. Oh, people are talking about decapitations and all this stuff. And I'm like, he's not Dr. Doom or like some kind of, he's not like, this is not the Avengers or something. You know what I mean? Like it, it, there's a, could have easily been way too much. Well, the best, the best part about that scene was, was not that we got to see Vader do damage to people. It was that, they set up a scene where Vader was doing something that was really important to him and to the Empire, and the tension was high. Everything was very... In, they're in this narrow corridor where they, it's a very sensitive situation that's going on, and, and the, the, the tension was palpable, uh, and, and everybody's on edge, and, and we got to see this really, really intense moment uh, where Vader was, you know doing things that we've we've always wanted to see him do why he didn't just force grab the disc out of the dude's hand i don't know but or or use the force to slide that door open or you know what i mean yeah it's, I it's know. suspension of disbelief yeah exactly anytime you're talking about the forest there's a million of those things yeah i'll say though that um 
I'll say though that that, that uh, it, Thursday night we got out of the movie, and I, you know, I remember specifically kind of trying to make this argument to you, Kevin. I was like, uh, it didn't look quite right. It looked, it looked too. I don't know what the problem was, but it, it didn't look quite right to me. Uh, I felt like there was too many soldiers in that room, and it was like a combination of that, and he was moving too quickly, and it just didn't look quite right for me. But then I, I watched it today again, and. Um, it looked a lot better. I felt like it did look good. And uh, the, the criticisms I had, it's one of those things I, I think, again, um, I feel like I went into it thinking like, are they going to be able to make Vader feel like Vader? If he has a moment like the like he does, am I going to, is it going to seem too cartoony or too comic booky or too fan servicey or whatever? Um, and I think I talked myself out of, you know, accepting it opening night and then I watched it today with a little more with a little less like tension in myself in terms of like oh my god what if they mess up Darth Vader I didn't have that when I watched it today and then I I, I felt like it, it looked pretty good I still think he moved a little quicker than he ever did like in A New Hope or Empire or anything like that but um, overall it's ch- pretty good I kind of chalked that up to the difference <laughs> in the way that Gareth directs those kind of battle type scenes than yeah. anything else we've seen in Star Wars so far it could be. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Like, I think it was like it wasn't just that there was a lot of dudes in this like tight space. It was that like there was a shaky camera like really deep in that room, mm-hmm. and that totally like changed the you know if that would have been like a wide shot from like far away, it would have been totally different, and it would have had a totally different effect. But like having that camera like deep in that room, I think. Yeah. Well, I I, key. I think we all I think we all read tweets too from from people saying things like uh, Vader gets a scene that is pretty much a horror movie scene. Yeah. And clearly that's what it was. And the reason it's horror is not because he's doing gross, grotesque things. Because you know we all know that's not what makes good horror. The reason why that's a horrifying scene is because there's so much at stake. Because we know how important those plan- we know how important those plans are. We know how important it is that they get to that ship. And even though we know that they do, we're still sitting mm-hmm. there like, "Oh my God, how can they possibly get this away from Vader? He's going to get them." And, yeah. and we feel that tension, even though we know the ending. And that that's pretty amazing, I think. And and I like. Go ahead. Oh, I just want to say, like, I feel like that scene is also like it's terrifying, but I also think it's like really kind of like beautiful in a way like just showing like yes we we got really invested in the stories of these main characters who you know gave up so much for these plans but then like ending it all those characters are dead at this point but ending it with like just the grunts like uh, the foot Mm. soldiers of the rebellion like their role in it that they were the ultimate final piece like all these no-name dudes at the very end are the reason this mission was successful like if they hadn't you know used their teamwork and their you know their own sacrifices like this whole thing would have been for nothing but and like what it really comes down to is you know it's it was like a huge like group effort and i thought that was like really beautiful to kind of like end it like that 
and it gives me a completely different view on the first 10 minutes of A New Hope. I'll, I'll never look at the beginning of that movie the same again, I think. It gives it so much more urgency than, uh, than what it's really let on. You know, oh, they're, get, they're getting boarded. This is going to not be good for them, you know. You kind of get this lead-in now where you saw all this stuff happening and that literally happened minutes before, and it just kind of changes my perspective on it. I'm well, not sure how close it is. Yeah, I, I have yeah. to. I don't understand. Well, they're they're there over Scarif, right? And then we see the Tantive Four take off into hyperspace, and then in A New Hope, they're over Tatooine, right? So I feel like there must have been. I don't know how long it would take to get from Scarif to Tatooine through hyperspace, but I feel like the Blockade Runner made the jump from Scarif to Tatooine. And then Vader followed um, and probably came out of hyperspace shortly after they did, you know, in about, you know, around Tatooine. And then he boarded, but like, it would, what would it take? Like a day to get there? Like days? I, was I don't know. I asking uh, our friend Jake when we were in the movie. I'm like, <coughs> man, they, I was making the comment because I was saying they don't make these ships very good for traveling. How long does it take to travel through hyperspace? You uh, know, but. If yeah, it's a significant like it. distance, I think it would take a definitely a while, but I don't know. Like in a new hope, I think it's supposed to be a couple days when they get when they leave from um Tatooine to get to Alderaan or whatever. I think that's supposed to it's not like an hour. You know, it takes like definitely I think a couple days. If I'm not mistaken, I could be mistaken cuz I'm not one to really like know all the little details and stuff like that. I I just can't so wait to I haven't like won watch. a trivial pursuit tournament yet, but I just can't wait till I can watch both of those scenes back to back. Yeah, and well, that whole the whole ending scene really gave me something that I've been waiting for for a while. And the one uh, of my favorite Star Wars scenes, uh, one that I always kind of set apart. I'm not going to say it's my favorite Star Wars scene, but one Star Wars scene that I have a I have a certain feeling about that is singular up until now, anyway, was uh, the end of Phantom Menace, the the lightsaber battle with with Obi Wan and Qui Gon and Darth Maul. Uh, there's there's this feeling that I get, and I every single time I watch it, I saw that movie probably ten times in the theater. Uh, I've seen it dozens of times since. Every time that 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 lightsaber battle starts, and I, I get this feeling like, okay, here we go. And I love that whole that whole scene. I think it's orchestrated perfectly. The part the part where the those energy fields come up and they're waiting, and I, I just love all of that. And when I saw that scene in Rogue One with with Vader and uh, the the rebels trying to get the the Death Star plans to the blockade runner that I was like, okay, finally, that's another scene. I think that next time I go see that movie, I'm gonna be like, all right, here we go, here it comes. And it's a little shorter probably than the other scene, but oh yeah, it's it's like two minutes long, yeah. Yeah, but it just seems like such a poetic scene in a similar way. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah, for sure. It's it's pretty great. Um, <laughs> I, I thought maybe we could talk for a second here. I want to talk about the structure of the movie, but like real quick, because you mentioned that 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 final scene, um, the very few little lines and things that kind of bother me in the movie. Um, at the very end, there in that scene where you know Vader tries to get the plans and they get away, like one of the guys, one of the rebel soldiers, and maybe it's um, Antilles. Uh, what's his name? Uh, is it no Bail Antilles? Bail is that the one? Bail Antilles that works for Bail Organa. 
Is that the same guy? Um, I think that might be who it is. I'm not sure. But anyway, he's like, uh, oh, let's make sure the escape pods work and something else too. And it's just like, I don't need you to tell me. Oh, I would assume the escape pods work. I don't need some guy to be like, better double check the escape pods for C-3PO and R2-D2 to escape in the first two minutes of A New Hope. Yeah, shouldn't that be on the pre-flight checklist here? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So speaking of those two characters... Ah, they were in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Lindsay mentioned that she, like, felt like she didn't really need that in it. Uh, Yeah. Um, I yeah, I think it was a cool you know thing to throw in there, but I don't know that it was needed. Yeah, I kind of like didn't even it didn't even like resonate with me really. They like came on, I was like ah, like eh. <laughs> like, and then we just kind of moved on, and then like See, I did people, not. People genuinely cheered for Bail Organa in in our showing. I feel like that was a checklist moment. C three PO and R two D two. Like, yeah. oh, got to get him in there, you know? And actually, I think for me, it would have been more effective if 3PO didn't say anything. If you had just seen them there, you know? Because, like, whatever dialogue you write for him in that moment, he's like, oh, nobody ever tells me anything. I, I just, to me, what I hear is, I had to say something because I had to have C-3PO on the movie. You know what I mean? Like, I just mm-hmm. don't, that that line is meaningless. It has no impact on the movie. But it was like, well, we know the fans want to see C-3PO, so C-3PO and R2-D2 are in the movie. Yeah, I just don't, I don't like, fan service is great until I'm like, this is purely here for fan service. When that happens, it drives me crazy. So I also hated, look, I love the movie. I love I love everything about it. I probably have more complaints about The Force Awakens than I do about um, Rogue One, even though I like Force Awakens more than Rogue One. There's very few things I'll complain about with Rogue One. I feel like, having seen it twice now, from beginning to end, it's really great. When Dr. Evazan and Panda Baba are Ugh. walking through the streets yeah. of Jeddah, that's really annoying. Yeah, and the I don't people, like him either. I oh, my I God. I believe that. I, like, that's his full-time job, just walking around saying <laughs> that to people? Like, travels from pl- system to system, yep. just telling anybody he sees, like, you know, you better watch yourself. Well, they brought it up on Rebel Force Radio. He's got the death, the death sentence on how many stars. He's obviously no, doing yeah. this all over the place. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't heard that yet, but it, that was obnoxious. That was way too much. That, well, and dude, yeah. I had a, I, I about had a heart attack at that moment too. The first time I watched the movie. From now on, I'll see it and I'll just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it won't be that big of a deal. First time I watched the movie, I was like, am I in for this kind of crap? Like for the next two hours? Mm-hmm. Are they going to be winking at me consistently? Constantly for the next That's two hours. All those reshoots. I guess, man. Oh, I man. tell you what, if they're going to be having that kind of thing all along, I would be very upset. So, um, well, that's the worst. All those, a lot of those things are unnecessary, and I, that was unnecessary. C three P and R two D two unnecessary, but I think, you know, they're in every movie, so it's fine. Yeah. They wanted to get him in there, but what, yeah. you know, what I, I think they could I have written. At the same time, are they going to go in and stick him into the Young Han movie? Because I was, I was having the same yeah. They, they don't thinking, need to do that. Well, he's been in all the movies, they, or they've been in all the movies. But the, then I'm thinking. I don't see him jamming him into a young Han movie or Boba Fett. Or no, they need to not do that. They need yeah. to not do that. They shouldn't do it. And and I think that with Rogue One, they probably thought like it does. It would make it would it at least make sense. be possible for us to put them in there because they could be here. Mm-hmm. But but they could have had him. I mean, I'm sure they wanted to save the Leia reveal until the very end, which is good because it 
pump people up, but like it would have made more sense to, if C3PO needs to say something from like say something to Leia or say something to Bail Organa instead of just like it's almost like he was talking directly to the audience. Yep. Oh, hello, I'm C3PO. Like that's it was mean cyborg relations. Oh <laughs> boy. This Do you is remember my how I got to RTT2? Do you remember how I always get annoyed in all the other movies? Here I am getting annoyed in this one. Yeah. Hello. Like it's just it, it was nothing it was meaningless, you know. And I get like bridging that or making that bridge to older fans and you know reaching out and being like okay you know we we didn't forget this in the same exact thing with Force Awakens like we didn't forget what happened in 1977 like we are validating your history with this series and like I get doing that but I hope I think that's been done now and I hope that going forward, like these movies can be have the confidence to stand on their own merits and not. F- I mean, obviously, like you, this is connected to the things that started in 1977, and you don't just throw that away. But, you know, you also, like, we, we have to, like, move forward at some point and, like, you know let go some of that stuff and that's something like i mean we see it with like with video games like so bad like not being able to let go of the past and um and it's it's noticeable and it it really doesn't give you anything substantial like i get the the intentions there and i think they're good intentions but you like what is it at the end of the day like why not you know you have so much good new stuff <laughs> like do do things with that well and there's more subtle and more effective references in the movie like for instance uh the ghost from Star Wars Rebels is in the movie but they never like shove it in your face and wink at you it's just there you know and uh i didn't even notice that <laughs> Choppers in the movie. What? Yeah, yeah, the ghost is in the movie, and also Chopper. Um, Chopper, I would have never noticed, but uh, after my first viewing, I read a list of Easter eggs and saw uh, that he was in it, and and it it told you where to look for him, and so I I definitely noticed him. There's a reference to Captain or General Sindula, which is Hera. Um, You hear that over comm chatter or something. On, on the on the rebel base, and I miss that as well. But Whoa. all those things are subtle, and they're part of the fabric of the movie in a natural way, which is sense. so different than right. oh, you better watch yourself. Yeah, they could have showed C three PO and R two D two just walking around on the ship. Or right. Like that. right, 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 right. Yeah. And that's what I was gonna say earlier. Like people, people really cheered for C three PO and R two D two, but it didn't feel right. <laughs> Whereas when people were cheering for Bail Organa, I was like, yes, this makes sense. Well, of course and, yeah. he's in this meeting. I'm really glad they got this Jimmy Smiths to do it. But when C-3PO's there, it's just like, oh, well, that 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 wasn't really nice. And honestly, 3PO and, and, and D2 didn't need to be in The Force Awakens either, um, except they, they played very minimal roles. I mean, R2-D2 at the end was important, but it's also plot-wise barely makes sense you know what i mean so i think that they didn't need to be in the movie except for we expect him to be in the movie we want him to be in the movie but like the way 3po shows up in the force awakens it feels like it's part of the plot and it feels logical and like it should be happening 
versus this movie, oh, well, we'll give you five seconds of R2-D2 and C-3PO, and we'll shove some garbage throwaway line into 3PO's mouth so that you get to hear him talk, you know? So it just It's just very jarring and like kind of pulls you out of the experience. But thankfully... There's only the Panda Baba, Dr. Evazan, and then that C-3PO R2-D2 scene for me that really do that. And then a little bit that line about, let's make sure all the escape pods work. I don't <laughs> like that, but it's not as bad because it does have a logical place like in in what's happening in that moment. So that's not as bad. The Darth Vader, like, don't be, be sure not to choke on your aspirations. That one I actually love. I think that's great. But that's just me. I mean, hmm. my well, personal feelings you, on it. Yeah, you, you, love, you love dad jokes. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got it. Star Wars is all about him being a dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, well, uh, at least uh, another thing I want to discuss is the kind of like the flow of the movie because I feel like my attitude or my, 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 in, my interpretation or understanding of it is really different after seeing it a second time. Um, Kevin, you may remember me telling you on Thursday night, like it's a three act movie. The first act is kind of like the setup. The second act is like the, and the first act is like kind of very gritty and like a war movie as well. The second act is like almost kind of a, not a spy thriller, but like a very like, um, I don't know, mission, like we got to accomplish this mission, like type thing, small crew. And then third act is like the big bolstering, like Star Wars, you know, battle, space battle movie. That's how I felt when I watched it um, for the first time. Now I don't feel that way. Now I feel like the movie really all fits together. Well, the first two thirds fit together in a really natural way. The final third, I think, feels really different to me, but I feel like it all feels like very Star Wars-y. And I didn't feel that way initially. I think like the first two thirds didn't feel, it's not that they didn't feel right to me, but they didn't, I don't know. It, 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 I felt like I could too clearly see it as like three different movies um, the first time I watched it. But when I watched it again today, I didn't feel that at all. So um, I'm curious. Kinda, kind of glad to hear that because sitting here now, having only seen it the one time, I really felt like the first half of the movie for me was just kind of slow. It wasn't bad by any means, but like I, I, I didn't think the pacing was right. So I'm going to see it again tomorrow afternoon and I, I'm interested to see how I'll react to it now. See, I've 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 read a lot of people saying this, I've read a lot of people saying the same thing that you're saying, Dan, about it being slow. And I, for, for whatever reason, I didn't feel that way. I, I'm not really sure why. I was really drawn in and, and found it really exciting right off the bat. And uh, I, I I never really lost that throughout the movie. I, I I feel like I liked it almost right away for a shot. But um, I'm wondering if it kind of just thinking about it now. You said it changed a little bit for you, John, when you saw it the second time. I'm wondering if it's just because, I don't know, I, I don't really care about these characters. The very first time I'm seeing this movie, and there's a lot of going between those characters for their individual reasons during that time period. So that, that could be part of it. Yeah, I think it was just more relaxed. You know, It was just like, oh, I'll just go ahead and watch it and not worry about it too much. So then as I'm watching, I'm just like, yeah, cool. Like It just, I don't know, it all flowed together and made sense to me, I feel like. Um, but that being said, I think, to me, I feel like the third act feels really different from the first two. Like, the first two are much more, I, I don't know, they, they feel more, the third low budget, of- low budget or indie is absolutely the wrong way to describe it, but it just feels more personal and more like, um, 
more of like a character based thing. Um, and then the last act feels very like zoomed out and like, you know, epic scale. Well, it's your kind typical of. third act of a Star Wars movie, you know. I guess that's true. You've got, got the <laughs> battles going on. You've got, you know. Oh, yeah. We haven't really. Uh, well, I should I, also mention that I think this movie has the best space battle of any Star Wars movie. Well, let's hear Ryan. Ryan, I hear you making some sounds <laughs> over there. Yeah. I mean, what it, what it reminds me most of and like the way it made me feel um the the general flow of the movie like was for me it was very like very revenge of the sith to me where you have like you know there's like stuff happening in the first two acts and there's there's jokes and there's like these hints at like this these darker things that are coming and also, you know that it's going to get dark, and like you're there's like that feeling of dread, like with every joke and every you know, like buddy moment. Um, in like you're between just kind of like, waiting for it to cut to the chase, yeah, like every moment, like between you know, Anakin and Obi Wan in Revenge of the Sith, you you know what it's leading up to. So when they're like, uh, you know, they're being friends and they're fighting together and, you know, Obi Wan's, you know, having his, you know, one liners and stuff and it's like all fun. Like there's still that like undertone of like you know what's coming. And then, you know, Order sixty six happens in Revenge of the Shit, the <laughs> Revenge of the Shift, mm-hmm. <laughs> Revenge of the Sith, and then everything changes. And I mean, it is like that tonal shift, and things just go down, down, down. And I thought we were a pro prequel podcast around here. Why are you? You know, don't call it that. No, I Revenge mean it in the... like. <laughs> no, I meant that. <laughs> I that was a slip of the tongue. Um, <laughs> no, I meant that. I mean this in a really good way. Like I love Revenge of the Sith. It's one of my favorite Star Wars movies, yeah. and I love it for that like super powerful third act. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that is the the structure. Like this does not feel like you know Return of the Jedi or Attack of the Clones or any other star wars movie rogue one like it it only feels like revenge of the sith to me i yeah you know i've never thought about it that way before but like you're kind of saying basically the only reason for those two movies to exist not the only reason but the pretty much the main reason for them to exist is for the two things that are happening at the very end of those movies so you know making a compelling uh, lead up to that is is challenging yeah, I don't know though, but because like um, Revenge of the Sith, um, I feel like you already know those characters, and it's building towards that like big dramatic ending. Yeah, and but they you, had you're... three movies to get there, and yeah, you know, Rogue One has one, and that's why they do so much of that character building. Yeah, so I'm just saying, like, it feels structurally, it feels. I feel like sure you can compare the third acts of them, but the first two acts, or whatever you want, however you want to phrase it, like feels very different in Rogue One, I think, to Revenge of the Sith. So, um, but yeah, you know, the point still stands. Like the endings are are similar in, in in terms of like the rest of the movie built towards that big kind of conclusion and uh, 
there's obviously a lot of like death and loss and everything in in the third act of both movies as well. Um, but, uh, but the first, the first two thirds are, are definitely different. And I think that's why when I first saw the movie, I was like, Ooh, I don't know. It doesn't feel super star Warsy, but now I almost feel like the first two thirds feel, I guess it's not really right to say, but like they, they feel as star Wars, at least as star Wars as a third act, the third act. And, and this is probably a little bit of the whole, like, Oh, well, paying attention to the rumor mill and stuff, um, filtering into my brain. But I feel like, the first two thirds of the movie feel really natural in like one movie. And then the last two thirds, a lot of it feels similar, but then a lot of it feels like, uh, we tried to add that like star Wars excitement to it. You know, we tried to give it that fun vibe. We tried to like kind of give it more of a punchy, um, adventure movie kind of feeling. We had to do these reshoots. I mean, I don't know if it's reshoots or not, but it (laughs) seems like it was because honestly, like, you know, if you think about the final third of the movie, um, what happens with Bodhi, what happens with Baze and Chirrut, what happens with Jin and Cassian, what happens with director Krennic, um, without cutting to like the space scenes and without those, especially without those last five minutes, it's just like pretty dark, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that last five minutes is really fan servicey and I like it. And people talk about like, Oh, the ending of this movie is so incredible that all star Wars fans are going to, you know, be besides themselves. And it's true, but it's also one of those things where I'm like, Oh man, it's, you're really just trying to make us happy right now. You know, it's almost like part of me feels like it's a little too convenient at the end, the way everything just works out perfectly. And you get some cool Darth Vader and you get some cool princess Leia and you get a reference to escape pods and just like, it's just so fan servicey in the last couple minutes that it doesn't feel like the same movie. It feels like, cool, you just sat through two hours of like philosophical and dark uh, Star Wars. We'll give you a five minutes of like bounciness so that you can walk out of here feeling a little better than you otherwise would, you know? Well, yeah, but it kind of makes sense because it's leading up to the movie that we know. I mean, it it's taking these characters who we don't know, showing that they're going to sacrifice everything to give us what we do know. Yeah, sure, but you watch two hours of a movie that feels grounded and realistic in a way that no other Star Wars movie ever has, and then end it with five minutes of like wish fulfillment. That doesn't exactly like, I don't, fit together I think, perfectly. I think that's. I don't think that's right. Really, you, you you don't think seeing Darth Vader pull out a lightsaber and cut through like twenty guys right before some dude gives Death Star plans to Princess Leia. You don't think that's wish fulfillment? I think that's like the natural conclusion, the natural bridge between these stories. Like, I think Leia's line is perfect, and it's something, you know, that's touched upon throughout the whole movie, like the concept of hope before leading into the film A New Hope. Like, yes. I think that is perfect. Sure. I, I love the line. Yes, it, it's fine. I have no problem with it. But. It, to me, I feel a little bit like I was just going in one direction and then they turned him in a completely different one. It just doesn't feel, I don't know, it's very abrupt. To me, it's very abrupt, like the ending of the movie, the very end. It's like, oh my God, you have Admiral Raddus looking down at uh, Scarif and saying, uh, may the force be with you, Rogue One. In other words, thank you for your sacrifice. You're all dead. Everyone's dead. Like, mm-hmm. we got these plans. It took everyone's lives, sacrificing 
hundreds of rebel lives, alliance lives, and the destruction of an entire area of this planet. But we got these plans. And then it's like, now we're going to slowly show you Darth Vader pulling out his lightsaber in the darkness. He's going to cut down a bunch of dudes. And then Princess Leia is going to be like, feel good, guys. You know, it just... I do, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm not saying I well, don't like it. Well, you say it, it that way, John. Come on. I, well, it just, it just does not feel like the same movie. It feels like somebody came in and was like, we better make this feel better at the end, you know? No, um, it's. I don't think it's any different than seeing a bunch of Jedi cut down in episode three and then, you know, all of that, like darkness and like Padme dying during childbirth and then still ending on like... A hopeful moment with you know um the the twin sons and baru like i mean i think it's it's okay like for a downer section of a film to like still end on like a positive note well i'm not saying it's well first i mean I'm, i'm not saying it's not okay i'm just saying it feels a little weird and i think it feels a little weird in revenge of the sith too honestly because you're just like uh I don't know. It's it's almost like too obvious to me that they're doing it so that we're not ending on a downer note. You know what I mean? I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a natural part of the story or the way it's presented. Um, I mean, I, I stood up and cheered and clapped my hands and was like super pumped up by the ending of, of Rogue One when I saw it too. So I'm not saying like I don't like it. Or I'm not saying I wish it wasn't there. I'm just saying that at the same time, it does pull me out of the experience a little bit because it feels like a different movie than the one I would just watch for two hours. Like, can you imagine a moment like that in the middle of the movie? I can't. But every there's, vic- there's every jokes victory, and there are stuff. yes, there, there are jokes, but every victory that th- every victory that they accomplish in this movie seems to come with just as much pain, if not more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a- every little step forward, they're also being pushed back or beaten down. Um, and well, the pain, the pain comes in the movie that we've already seen that came out in 1977. I mean, this is, I, again, it's, it's, it's all tying into that other movie. They had to tie those two movies together, and it, it, I don't see any problem with it. Okay. I mean, I, so like if, um, if you didn't see that guy fall down and hand the plans over to Princess Leia, you'd be like, I don't know how these movies tie together. They, they didn't tie them together because it would still totally tie together. Like you don't have to, you don't have to be like. I know the fans will love seeing Princess Leia get the plans to tie these movies together. Like they're doing that because it's it's a feel good moment, not because you have to do it to tell a story. And and I'm fine with it. I like it. I'm not I'm not saying I wish it wasn't in there. I'm just trying to communicate. I'm just saying I don't see a problem with making a movie that where they want to make people happy or where they want to give people what they want in 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 some regard. What's wrong with fan service? Yeah, fan service can go wrong, but I don't think that's an example of I, it. Yeah, I think we've identified like the good and bad forms of that in this film, and I, I think the I think the ending uh, is yeah. very good. I think the ending walks the line a little bit for me. Um, yeah, t- t- to me, this is the problem. You say there's nothing wrong with it, like there's no problem with it. To me, this is the problem. I'm watching the movie, and it pulls me out of the experience a little bit. Because it feels so different from what I've just been watching, you know. If you're watching like, uh, if you're watching a action comedy, 
And then all of a sudden in the last two minutes of the movie, there's some like brutal violence that's just like really intense and dark. You'd be like, whoa, where did that come from? That's like really weird. Um, and I feel a little bit like that with, with Rogue One. It's like, man, this whole movie and the, especially the ending is like very dour and very like intense and serious. And then all of a sudden, like the last two minutes are just like, um, now it's a comic book movie and it's going to be total wish fulfillment. I don't think the whole movie is dour and serious. I think there's a lot of humor and fun in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, humor and fun, like little light moments that punctuate the, uh, you know, intense things. Like K2 will spout off like a funny little line, but it doesn't like, it's not like two minutes of jokes. Um, I don't know. Okay, but they, but, but all these people in this movie who died, they, they died so we could have that moment. That's the reason for it. That's why that moment happens, because of all those sacrifices. So all those bad things that did happen lead us naturally to that moment. And, and I feel like we earn it. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch Revenge of the Sith, Rogue One, and A New Hope in order, like back to back. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see how, how it how it connects and how it feels because I think like the revenge of the Sith to rogue one, like I think that is going to be a roller coaster leading into a new hope. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it like goes when you have them all together. Although it's interesting too, though, to a certain extent, like should you watch them together like that? God, I keep in. Should should I mean should we watch them together like that? Because I don't know. I yeah, think so. you think I so? Think so? Yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt anything. No, like, it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt anything. But it's I don't know. It'll be an experience. Yeah, it'd be cool. But like, I guess most of us don't ever just sit down and be like, I'm gonna watch episode one through six or one through seven in a row. Anyway, but. I mean, it's not episode 3.5, you know what I mean? It's its own movie that's supposed to, like, kind of stand on its own, so. Yeah. I still yeah. think it'll be interesting to do. Yeah. Definitely be interesting to watch um, Rogue One Into a New Hope. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Well, the thing that's crazy to me is in less than a year, we'll be sitting here talking about episode 8 already. <laughs> in less than about two weeks we're going to be sitting here talking about episode eight because I feel like um, it's all going to, our attention's all going to start to turn that way once we really process Rogue One a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like there is some, there is some processing to, uh, to have. I think I'm, I mean, I'm definitely going to go see the film again and I'm going to have a lot more to think about when I watch it this time um, from our yeah. conversation tonight and, you know, just f- and from everything I read on the internet and stuff, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, absolutely, um, for sure. Well, uh, before we wrap up here, or as we wrap up, I guess like the good thing is going into it, I'm sure we were all a little nervous about how's it going to shake down, um, and I'm super happy with it. I think all of you guys are super happy with it. Seeing it a second time today, I'm more even more excited about it and more happy with it than it was um, after just one viewing. So we are uh, one Star Wars story down. Uh, so far, so good, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's 
definitely made me a believer in the concept of the Star Wars story. So, um, so that is good for sure. Yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to watch the the young Han Solo movie and Rogue One back to back someday. <laughs> <laughs> Have that double feature because <coughs> I think that's yeah. going to be a quite a bit of a tonal shift. But who knows? Maybe not. I don't know what to think about that one. Well, no, I, I think it's got to be a tonal shift, but <laughs> I, I assumed it was going to be like a buddy cop comedy or kind of thing, you know, like yeah. Die Hard or uh, Beverly Hills Cop or something. Wait, wait. Not Die Hard. Not Die Hard. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> lethal I meant, Weapon? Le- I meant Lethal Weapon. I meant Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon or... or uh, Turner and Hooch. And Turner and Hooch, yeah. No, I, we were just talking about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie earlier tonight, oh. so that's why that Die Hard was on the uh, tip of my tongue. But no, mm. like, a, like a Lethal Weapon or like a... Um, Beverly Hills Cop or like a even like a True Lies or something like that's what I was thinking but then now like Kathleen Kennedy I've heard her say uh, here or there that it's that they're looking at it uh, at least visually like a western you know and they're they're inspired by like these these uh, classic uh, paintings about you know uh, or, uh, the western kind of period in American history and I'm like wow that's not what I expected for a Han Solo movie so who knows what it'll be you know um but I think that this movie, Rogue One, shows that they're willing to experiment with genre, and um, it could be really something different from what we're expecting. So I think that's the only way it's going to be successful, personally, the Han Solo mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, but we will see. That's yeah. uh, I'm going to start filming, I think, pretty soon, actually. So maybe start to see, like, a with Rogue One, shortly after they started filming the movie, we saw the first cast picture and got the title of the movie and... You know, all went all uh, kind of built from there. So we'll be hearing more about Rogue One next year. Or Rogue One. Be hearing more about Episode Eight next year, and I think Han Solo as well. So should be exciting. Um, lots to talk about. But I think for tonight, uh, we're going to wrap it up here. So uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, as always, you can check us out at uh, BlockadeRunnerPodcast dot com. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, Twitter. <laughs> Follow <laughs> us on Twitter at uh, Blockade Run. And we're on Instagram and we're on YouTube. Uh, you could email us at blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com and uh, keep an eye on all those channels for more discussion of Rogue One and all things Star Wars. Mm-hmm.